Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell. Philip Matthew here tonight. As we break down the Geico 500 from Talladega Super Speedway, Chase Elliott went to victory lane in his fourth win of the of his career, his first win of the season, the sh- first win for Chevrolet on the year at Talladega Super Speedway. We'll break that down. Also, we'll discuss uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series race from Talladega Super Speedway. It was Tyler Reddick who was in victory lane there. Also, the new package here, the new Super Speedway package, wouldn't have a restricted plate. We had a, a tapered spacer in it. Speeds were up a little bit, but what did we think of the racing? We'll dive into that. Also, the finish. I know there's been some some talk about whether or not NASCAR should let it run green until the end, whether we should have unlimited amount of green white checkered finishes. We'll get into that a little bit as well. And we'll talk about the points in both the Xfinity and Cup. And take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking Circles. That's the number to call if you wanted to get in touch with us here tonight on Talking Circles. But it was the Geico 500. Chase Elliott's fourth career win is first of 2018. Or first of 2019, excuse me. He holds off Alex Bowman, Ryan Priest, Joey Logano, and Daniel Hemrick today. At Talladega Super Speedway, that was your top five. Top ten to round out the top ten was Kurt Busch, Ryan Newman, Brendan Gaughan in, in, a, in a Beard Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, that was Eric Amarola and Kyle Busch rounding out the top ten today at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, Chase had a really fast car, Philip Matthew. We saw um, Hendrick and Chevrolet at times in this race uh, get to get, team up and get together and make it tough for people to pass, um, and they seemed to do that at the end. I don't think they had the best car, but he was there when it counted. And that caution at the end, when Chase, Chase Elliott was in front when the caution came out, what were your thoughts on the Geico 500 today at Talladega Super Speedway? Yeah, I mean, you have to give credit to the whole nine team and uh, Chase Elliott and how he handled the end of that race, considering how hairy it was at times and trying to get yourself out front uh, in the case of Chase and his teammates, the Alex Bowman, and for a while, William Byron as well, uh, they were able to work as a group and actually get themselves in position. And, of course, in the end, uh, Chase was able to benefit. And uh, when the final act, the final caution came out, he was in, he was there, and he had the lead, and uh, he took a much-needed victory for both uh, Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet, the first win for Chevy since Chase's win at Kansas uh, last October. And, uh, I mean, going, it's been a long time. I mean, outside the last time a non-Chevy or a non-Chase Elliott Chevy win was last year's Daytona 500 with Austin Dillon. That's hard to believe. I mean, yeah, and, I yeah, I didn't think that too. And then my buddy and I, when we were having our little, uh, we're talking and he said, oh yeah, it was Austin Dillon. I'm like, oh wow, it's crazy. And then it's going all the way back to Kyle Larson. I mean, the teamwork thing came about since last uh, October's Talladega race where Stuart Haas basically manipulated it. And then in the Daytona 500, it became Ford versus Chevy and Toyota, which the Gibbs guys used to their advantage, uh, and it worked out to where Hamlin uh, got his second 500 win. Uh, This uh, rules package and this thing, I mean, I know we'll go into more detail. I got to say for somebody being a person who's generally not a fan of racing at Talladega or Daytona in general, um, it was, I'd have to say there was, there was activity. There was a lot of different leaders. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in that sense, there was something to write home about, right. uh, and different manufacturers had their time up front. And so, I mean, you, 
it was an interesting little race, I got to say. So it was, uh, and it wasn't what? as much, and it wasn't as much carnage as we normally see. I mean, sure, there was a big wreck at the end, and there was a, a one in the in the very early beginning. Lap ten, it took out Harvick and and uh, Boyer and Bubba Wallace and a few others. Uh, Michael McDowell was in it as well. But other than that, you know, the middle part of this race was very very clean. So uh, I think that's kind of refreshing for race fans like you and I as well. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here, talking circles. We're talking about. Uh, today's race at Talladega Super Speedway. Ben in North Carolina is on the line one. Hello, Ben. How are you? Good. You? What do you want to talk about tonight, Ben? Um, various things. Um, I thought this rules package was surprisingly done very well. Um, I was very nervous we were going to see a return to the tandem. I, I was very, very afraid that we were going to see a 2012 version of the tandem or a flat out basically a uh, 2010 and 2011 version and a little bit of the 2009 uh, 09 version. So I was thrilled we did not see that. Mm-hmm. I thought the racing was some of the best we've seen in a long time in terms of plate racing. Uh, probably the best I've seen since I can think of is like the 2015 500 where there's three wide for like biking and it was just crazy. Um, the only thing I was a little bit upset about was the finish. Um, I was kind of wondering, I thought NASCAR had time. I know it was extremely close and it would have been fractions of a second. I thought they had time to get out of caution before the leader had taken the white. I know it was very close, but I would. I don't know if that's a procedure thing they need to work on where they're the guy's literally hovering his finger over the button, especially at these races, to push it immediately. But I I felt like that took a little bit of a damper away from it. When you were talking about when Stenhouse um, hit the wall, I'm taking it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought it was too close, uh, too close to call there. And I don't, we we can get, certainly get into the finish of the event. And, you know, there was a lot of people out there tonight that I saw on, on social media and stuff that were saying that the finish probably should have – a couple of people said that the finish, maybe NASCAR should have just let them run to the checkered. Um, I'm not sure how, Philip, how you feel about that, but, you know, I'm always kind of always been in, in the minority, and I've always felt, you know, I, I'm a, I grew up back in the era where we raced back to the yellow on every single caution. There was no such thing as freezing the field back in the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, when I think about some great races uh, that I grew up with watching and how those races would have been affected had we froze the field, I kind of I kind of just, you know, um, sat there and said, hey, you know, what are we going to do as far as uh, how would that affect it? And I like freezing the field in a way. I think it, it, in this case, Philip, I don't know how you feel about it, but when Larson's car went upside down or hit the wall and there was a lot of hard hits there – on that finish, I felt like NASCAR sort of had to throw the caution for safety issues. What are your thoughts on that finish there, Philip? Um, you know, Chase Elliott was, was definitely, I think, in front when the caution was, was out. There was no controversy about that. But I just think there are some people who even feel, no matter what, like they do in ARCA, you know, you have to, uh, to finish the race under green. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the they called the, earlier in the race, they called a caution for debris that I don't know if you guys saw uh, during, because I basically, it's been something that I haven't done in a while, actually. So the fact that I was sitting there and basically watched the majority of that race, and I the one part was, they I was there and they said, oh, caution for debris. They never showed it, and they've kind of given up, you know, doing the, the phantom cautions thing but i don't know i mean it's entirely possible there's wrecked race cars driving out there all day uh that one was questionable uh the fact they didn't call a yellow on stenhouse's hitting the fence they didn't call a caution on eric jones spinning out in turn three which in other cases they probably would have and then stenhouse hits the fence they didn't I don't think they bothered to call the yellow right there. They then waited until they wadded up, you know, a bunch of other cars, including Larson, uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Reagan, etc. So, I mean, the reality is whether they cross the 
start finish line or not. I'm, I'm pretty sure they crossed. They had already crossed the start finish line, so the race was over at that point. So once Stenhouse had hit the fence, I think you're, you you throw the yellow right there. The race is over either way based on the current rules. Should we have green white checkers? I don't trust these guys to go and do green white checkers without wrecking most of the field. Uh, it's become that way, unfortunately. Uh, they've done it in the Xfinity series. They've wrecked a ton of race cars at these races. They did it in the truck series. They wrecked virtually every vehicle in the in, in the race as well. It's the same way as what most restrictor plate racing has been, or races at Talladega and Daytona, because they're not, quote, restrictor plates, end quote, even though they really are. Uh, it is, I mean, it's fine. They should have thrown the yellow when Stenhouse said get wrecked because that was a head-on collision, and then they could have probably saved a few more race cars there. Elliott's still in yeah. the race. They would have gotten there. They would have gotten what they wanted anyway. They should have They should have thrown a yellow when Eric Jones spun out. They would throw it nine out of ten times. If it was nine, if you choose nine other drivers out of a hat that probably aren't Kyle Busch and they weren't leading or they were leading, they would have thrown that yellow. It, it, yeah. It, they, Chase Elliott leading probably helped to assist with, with the them not, you know, calling yellow or whatever. A couple of things I want to say. First of all, uh, to Ben's point earlier, uh, I'm looking at the Stenhouse incident again. I do think the leader was crossed past the start finish line with Stenhouse at the outside yeah. wall. I just I don't think there was or it was if it, they weren't the leaders weren't past it. It was they were just close. I mean I don't think there was any time for NASCAR to do that. So I don't I don't think that one's bad as far as restarting the race was concerned. Uh, I, I initially when Eric Jones spun, I said keep it green. And I always feel that way. If there's no debris and they spin out, you know, and there's n- they're not in harm's way, keep it green. And they keep going, you know, and they're not stopped on a racetrack, keep it green. That's what they always used to do. It's always kind of refreshing to see when they do that. So I was kind of happy about that from that standpoint. When Stenhouse at the wall, I think there was enough time even there where uh, the only issue you have with that is the potential of debris he left there coming to the start-finish line. You don't want to see that. So – that argument I can understand if you wanted to throw it right there. Um, I initially said, well, I think Stenhouse is out of harm's way there. Uh, but, you know, I, I was watching it with another race fan who said throw the caution because of the debris. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, debatable. But, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a person who wants a million tries at a green-white checkered finish. I, I think it's ridiculous that if, you know. I do, I do how, Yeah. Because I think it's ridiculous when you look at like how ARCA does it, for example, when, you know, um, let's say the leader has a five second lead coming off turn four and he sees the checkered flag and there's a wreck behind him. Do we really need to restart that race? You know, that's the way I look at, at that kind of thing. And ARCA changed the rules this year. Oh, that's they good. They literally yeah, I just, changed. I well, think I think they it's because NASCAR it took like over. One yeah, yeah, I think that's because NASCAR took over ARCA, but... You know, I, I I always kind of thought that was gimmicky, to be honest with you. I think three is mm-hmm. a little too much for me. Um, but, I, again, I grew up in a different era than a lot of race fans. I grew up in an era where we used to ra- end races under caution. Uh, Philip remembers those mm-hmm. days. So, um, you know, uh, to me, it's it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't affect the uh, finishing under under caution and green to me. I know, I'm, it's, I know I'm rare and I'll never win this argument. To me, it doesn't really matter all that much. But I guess I look at it, too, because when we ended races under caution – we ran back to the stripe and that's the way I look at it is we should always run back to the stripe to end the races. But, uh, and today, you know, mm-hmm. if that was the rule today, we would have ran back to the stripe. Now people disagree yeah. with that, but, um, that's how I feel about it. Anything else, Ben, you want to discuss? Um, maybe in reference to that, I've always thought if they're, if they're going to have an, especially at these plate tracks, they maybe need to have a procedure where they have like a race back line. Well, if you hit a certain point down the track, the leader crosses at that point, they're racing, they're coming back. I've always thought that might be a good scenario to fix a lot of this. Do you throw the caution? Do you not throw the caution? Once you hit that line, you're coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I understand that for sure. But, you know, today, for, for the instance, today on the back stretch, when a lot of people thought, like, you could keep it green, was Larson was going upside down. And, you know, mm-hmm. you never want to take that risk of, a driver being severely hurt or even trapped inside a ra- let's say a driver's trapped inside of a race car and there's gas pouring yeah. on top of them and God forbid there's a fire or something like that. You know, and I know these mm-hmm. cars are built a lot safer nowadays and stuff like that where that might won't happen as much. And you got the, uh, 
you know, you can you can sort of extinguish it pretty pretty good inside a race car as well. So uh, it, it's it's certainly a double edged sword, and I understand where fans are coming from in one way, but again, you know, when when a guy's flipping mm-hmm. on the back straight away, I think we need to throw caution. There, no I, doubt I, about I it. I, yeah. I don't. I didn't have an issue with it. What I I guess my thing is I don't. I would think they're far. Even if that's the issue, they're already past the track. They're going to have plenty of time to slow the cars then down. Why couldn't you get the safety car crews out? I guess, I guess that's why I don't understand. Well, and 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 you know, on some tracks too. I mean, it depends. It's very yeah, I'm thinking track. I mean, start... That's what I'm thinking. The big tracks. And and slowing the cars down might not necessarily be the best thing because if they're slower when they're coming to the stripe, it take might take them longer to get there. Where if they're going faster. It'll take them less time to to sort of get back out onto the racetrack. So, Good point. you know, you can kind of make a a a argument for both there. But Ben, uh, thanks so much for calling tonight, and be sure to call in again. Mm-hmm. Sure, no problem. Thank you. As Ben from North Carolina, uh, a good call there, Philip. Brought up a lot of good points there. Um, but I didn't think NASCAR was was totally out of line today. I mean, I I, I if I it was cr- one critique. I could certainly, Philip, understand where you're coming from with the Stenhouse accident. I think you th- you should probably throw the caution there, uh, just because now that I think about it twice and I'm and I'm uh, looking at it again, um, it certainly probably left debris at there, and uh, Stenhouse took a pretty hard lick. So I, I certainly would side with you there on that. Um, getting back to the race, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting race. Um, but there were some guys, this is always happens with plate racing, some drivers who had a really good day and some drivers who struggled throughout the day. Um, you know, when you go through the top 10, you know, Daniel Hemrick and Ryan Priest, those are two, two of the rookies, year contenders this year. They both kind of had tough years this year. Um, so for them to go out there and finish in third and fifth, Priest in third and Hemrick in fifth, a good day for those guys, especially Hemrick, who's had a really, really tough luck season so far. Maybe this can get a season sort of on the right track. And, uh, and and get that eight car a little bit better in points because he's had a real tough year. But those two guys certainly stand out um, in the top five there, Philip. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Priest, he had a big save in Daytona in February and ended up getting a top 10 finish there. And then he followed it up uh, today and stayed clean all day. Him and Busher had worked together uh, very well until Busher's uh, untimely uh, incident there late in the race, but Priest was able to latch on with Hendrick, uh, with being a Hendrick affiliate and going and hooked on to the nine and the 88 there late and uh, made the most of it, got his first career cup top five. Hemrick, who's had ridiculously bad luck all year, gets his first career top five finish, first top 10 finish of his career as well. Uh, best finish, I think, was 18th before today. And, uh, I mean, for both of them, obviously, points, it's not going to be – they're not going to make the playoffs. It's really about learning and making the most of the year and getting the most uh, experience they can for next year, really. But uh, if they could, you know, put something together to get they get some momentum going, they might be able to back into a win. But it's a good deal. You know, that's what – Talladega provides some different names to possibly get up there and get a top 10. Uh, So that's something. I mean, one thing that's interesting is Kyle Busch kept his top 10 streak going for the season. Uh, He's there's 10 races so far this year and he has 10 top 10 finishes, which is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, He just held on to that right there. I mean, you had, I don't know how many cars on the lead lap at the end of this deal. I think it was, what, 20? It says 21. So the fact that he was mm-hmm. able to hold on to that top 10 finish there is pretty interesting as well. I give credit to Brendan Gaughan. Went and was a dad yesterday and went for the christening and for his, of his or first communion for his child and one child and then and missed qualifying and then showed up, started tailback, as Rusty loves to say, and and came up and finished eighth. And, uh, I mean, those RCR cars in general, you look at uh, Austin qualified on pole, Ty won the first stage, and then you consider Hemrick and Gone both get top ten finishes. So that's – and the and RCR-affiliated vehicles seem to have a good day in general. So Yeah, they did. They had a lot of speed. They did, yeah. they did have a lot of speed, and 
Here's a stat for you that I don't think anybody would have, would have thought of here on April 28th. Ty Dillon has more stage wins than every other Chevrolet driver combined this year. So um, there you go on that. I know that's kind of shocking considering where that Geico team was, but he ran good today, finished 17th, led seven laps, um, and he's had a pretty good year so far. But, um, you know, it's just kind of shocking to see how Chevrolet struggled. But Chase got their first win today. Uh, I thought Bowman ran a pretty good race there as well, a second-place run for him. Uh, Brendan Gaughan, you talked about him going to be a dad. Uh, certainly, you know, when, you, when you're not running for points – and it's qualifying on a super speedway event where you really don't do anything other than hold the wheel, um, you, you know, and, and where your qualifying position really doesn't matter all that much. You sit there and you go, okay, yeah, go ahead, be a dad. You know, I, I would think about if, if he was running for a championship and uh, this was a track where qualifying was really important and he needed the, every point he could get, I might sit there and say, I'm not so sure about that, but certainly go to be a dad. Um, when you're doing one-off deals here, apparently they're going to be back at Daytona in July as well, Gone said on Twitter. So keep your eye on out for that on the Beard Motorsports team number 62. South Point Hotel and Casino helps out there as well. So they'll be back at um, Daytona in, on July 4th weekend. So it should be fun to watch them go out there and do that as well. Uh, other drivers throughout the field here who had decent days, Corey LaJoy in 11th. I mean, that's uh, the 32 car who had pretty good speed all day in the draft today. They, they I, I, I think Corey is being a little bit conservative at times today where he didn't really want to get into an accident and sort of sat on the back end of the field. But, you know, just keeping the draft, that was better than a lot of other drivers did today. So 11th place run for him. Suarez was 12th. Brad Keselowski, 13th. Austin Dillon, 14th. Ryan Blaney, 15th. 16th was Paul Menard. He got involved in the wreck. A lot of these guys here ended up in wrecks towards the end of the, the event, uh, that big the big two or three wrecks there at the end. Ty Dillon, 17th. Reed Sorensen, 18th. Uh, Eric Jones, 19th, and Martin Trix Jr. was in 20th. But something I want to talk, touch on a little bit here, Philip, about the race as a whole was just the kind of lack of presence from Toyota today. Uh, we saw Trix lead a little bit, uh, Kyle Busch lead a little bit, but you know they really um, Eric Jones led for a couple of laps, but they really weren't out there and and dominating like we usually see Toyota do at all the, every other racetrack. Why do you think that was? Do you think it's maybe that they are so far down on numbers that they really can't get the amount of help that they need? You know, when you look at, at the – they only got six cars out there, five cars really out there, six today with – seven today with Jeffrey Earnhardt and um, Parker Kligerman out there today. But, you know, Kligerman and Earnhardt were sort of back in, tail back in the field all day, never really went up to the draft until the very end for Jeffrey Earnhardt. Um, but Ford has like 14 entries. Chevrolet's got like 18 um, so they're so far down in numbers, Toyota. Do you think that plays a role in this, or do you think maybe it's just the horsepower that they're just a little bit uh, down on the horsepower here? Why do you think Toyota sort of was the odd man out today here at Talladega Super Speedway? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, it didn't hurt them in February. Uh, they didn't show speed and all that other, you know, up, building up into the big day, and then once they ran the Great American Race, they all showed up just fine. Uh, Dee Burrito went and led the most laps, I think, in the 500, and then he got wrecked, and then, you know, in the end, it became a battle between Hamlin and Kyle Busch, and Hamlin ended up coming out front. So, uh, the 19 didn't really fare, didn't do anything, uh, 96 didn't really do anything in that race, but those three cars were up there all day. Uh, Kyle Busch was aggressive for a lot of the race. He tried to make a lot of runs and side drafting. It didn't, and one thing I picked up, you know, through sitting there most of the day, which is not something I would usually do with Talladega, uh, was that wasn't working. I guess we'll go into that more with the package, but, uh, I don't think the numbers thing was as I don't think that's as much of an issue as maybe now that this rules package has been adjusted a little bit, the ability of them trying to go and work with like Chevy, like they did at Daytona might've not been there, but they also, I think Denny Ham, it also kind of proves that Denny Hamlin's really good at this and he's been really good at this type of racing for a long time. He was one of those guys that no matter the package pre, pre, uh, you know, tandems when they went to the gen five car to when they went to the tandems to after that, he's always been aggressive and he was out of the race very early. 
uh, that early rack, and then I think a blown tire or whatever. He had, he had, he was out of it, and he was able to kind of dictate things, and he was kind of that leader. And him not being there, I think, really set the tone for the day. Jeffrey Earnhardt tried to make moves, but because he's very inexperienced in top flight equipment and cup, nobody was really willing to go with him. Kyle Busch tried to make a lot of moves, but never really got the help. Kurt hung him at least twice late in the race. Um, you know, then and then you, D, D. Benedetto wasn't as anywhere near as fast today as he was uh, in February. So, I mean, yeah, you could say it's a numbers game. I think it's a problem Joe Gibbs really is going to have to start dealing with if he really wants to keep all those people that he has in his development line. Uh, but I think they would have been just fine. I think if Denny Hamlin hadn't gotten involved in an early wreck, I think they would have been just fine. I think they would have been able to compete, uh, you know, late in this race. Uh, Jeff Fine, if they if he was there, I think his being missing because of the accident kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah, I, it's not a bad point for sure. I think we know Hamlin's ability to go out there and uh, really do what they're supposed to do there on the restrictor plates. Well, now I, I do that all the time on the super speedway it, tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it certainly was an interesting race. That wreck on lap uh, ten. Took out a lot of contenders. I mean, Bubba Wallace was up there compete, competing with um, uh, his friend Ryan Blaney, and it caused an accident there. Bubba kind of slammed into Kevin Harvick. Um, uh, Clint Boyer was involved in that wreck as well. Uh, Michael McDowell in it as well. Took out a lot of contenders. You mentioned Denny Hamlin. Um, one of two big wrecks, and then we had the wrecks at the end there. But for the most part, that race was, was pretty clean. Um, we also had the wreck there on lap 183 that, that uh, took out Truex and, and Chris Buescher and Justin Haley and the 95 of, of Matthew Benedetto. Um, that also uh, was another wreck. But we really, for the most part of this race, you know, between laps uh, 10, we, really between laps 12 and lap 182, uh, 170 laps, we were really pretty much green the whole way, aside from that debris that you called earlier. Um, so I thought that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, some guys had a real tough day. Jimmy Johnson, if you weren't sure what happened to him because he wasn't really involved in a wreck and when, he, what his, when his issue happened, they were under a, a, a commercial break on the TV. He had hit the outside, he blew a tire, hit the wall, and was never able really to um, find the handle of that 48 car after that. So uh, a struggling day for him. He ended up 33rd. Uh, Justin Haley in his debut was 32nd. Uh, Larson had a pretty good day, but he wrecked and finished 24th. Uh, Stenhouse was 25th. He was leading for a lot of the race um, and was up there in the top 10 for most of the race, so he ended up 25th. Uh, anybody that else that really sticks out to you that um, had a tough day or had a really good day um, at Talladega Super Speedway before we talk about the package, Philip? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would go and say that Suarez, I, he was really aggressive all day, and uh, the friend I was sitting with uh, is he has his definite favorites and he has a definite people he doesn't like. And one of them is Suarez. And, but the deal with Suarez with me, I'm like, it is what it is. He may have, whatever you want to think of him, he may have not been in the best spot with the 19. Now he's in the 41. Okay. Fine. Kurt Busch got replaced, but I think he is a much better position now where he is currently. Uh, Suarez was very aggressive. He had a really good race car uh, today and it's kind of continuing what, he's been doing for the last few weeks, uh, frankly, uh, with that 41 team uh, building that momentum. I mean, it's uh, for Stenhouse, he looked like what he looked like a couple years ago when he won two of the four plate races, and he was very aggressive. And, I mean, that's what Ricky Stenhouse has always been, whether he drove a USAC car or Xfinity or whatever. He's always been aggressive. Usually that's meant he's hit the wall or wrecked or whatever, but he's also won races because of that. And today kind of looked like that old uh, Ricky Stenhouse. And uh, they that fire kind of hasn't been there this year. It's been missing at times. So uh, he's, in terms of his playoff positioning right now, he's, uh, what is it, 15 points out 
of the cutoff. So, I mean, that he probably wanted a little better run than 2050. He ran better than 25th. I was surprised that Chastain couldn't really get anything going after he got a top 10 at Daytona. But, of course, Mm -hmm. when you don't wreck three-quarters of the field, that probably takes away the chance for somebody like a premium motorsports to really be there. But I would say that Justin Haley was able to go back and back and forth uh, in that 77 car. That car hasn't run well all year, and he was running great for a good portion of the race until he got taken out in that Busher yeah. uh, incident. So, I mean, I give credit to him. Good run. It didn't end up. The result doesn't show how well Justin Haley carried himself and did in what will probably be the first of uh, many cup starts in his career as a young guy as he is. I mean, Harvick was uh, outspoken about Bubba and, and yeah, uh, I heard that. Yeah. And I mean, the fact is Harvick was also outspoken about Chad Johnston earlier on this week on his uh, uh, show and his, his serious show. And, uh, what is it? Kyle Larson had to give the vote of confidence on him. And Kyle Larson had actually done pretty well all day today and, of course, got ends up on a flipping wreck at the end of the race. But uh, uh, Kevin Harvick was crying and moaning like he does a lot because he's Kevin Harvick. Um, and he, you know, like I, I'll say this about Bubba. I said that, you know, 10 laps into a, into a 500-mile race, you really shouldn't be making moves like that. Um, of course, if they had more practice and they would be more willing to go and try some things or actually test some of these things instead of saying, yeah, just go and do it, which is seemingly what NASCAR seems to do, maybe that could have been avoided. Um, he also came out and said, I wasn't trying to wreck my boy, you know, Blaney, and in the end I wrecked right. myself. And he apologized yeah. for the accident and all that. And furthermore, he understands full well that his team isn't good and I think it's one of the first times in a while he's been up front. He's trying to make things happen, trying to get sponsorship for a team that's in desperate need of it. Uh, for sure. There's only been two times this year that I can remember Bubba Waltz really being worthwhile. It was the Daytona 500, and it was today. And both of those races, I think he made a total of 45 laps or 35 laps or something in both of those races. So you can't. So you have to be able to finish these things uh, when you have decent vehicles. And the RCR-related teams all seemingly had decent runs in some way, shape, or form, or got, or they were there and had a chance to. Um, that, that was whatever. Kevin Harvick, you know, he, he cries and moans about everybody. Uh, the way he went about it, and he made a, a direct comment to, to Bubba Wallace. It's like, it's surprising. There's a reason why Kevin Harvick has been targeted by guys like Ricky Rudd. And then it's like, I get that you're a well, veteran, you're a veteran guy and you have your rights here, but it's like, shut up. You know, like right. we get it that you're, you're a big deal. You're, you're a champion and all that stuff. But like, seriously, like shut up. I mean, it's, well, I'll say it's, this. it's getting old, you know, with, yeah. with his whining and moaning. Like you're, you're not even running. Like everyone's saying, oh, you're running bad. You're running fourth and points. You know, you, you, at some point in your career, you ran in that kind of spot and you wrecked half the field too. And he did it. Yeah. And that's another thing that was brought up on social media, that he's the same hypocrite that went and wrecked the half the field at the end of a race when he had a blown motor at, during right. a playoff race yep. and wrecked half the field on purpose. And then he's going to go and talk about other people doing that. It's like, you, you have to get over yourself. Well, and, and I'll say this, and, and I, th- I think you brought this up in, in what you were discussing earlier I do think it was a little aggressive on lap 10 to be doing what Bubba Wallace was doing, but you're certainly brought up great points where, you know, he's in a race car where he's been itching. I'm sure for this race, this race has been circled on his calendar since the start of the year where, Hey, this, this is one of the races where I can win. And when the race started, he got all excited, I'm sure. And he's still a young guy. You know, people forget that, you know, because he's got, he's been around for a while um, in a truck series and Xfinity. He's still young and he's still got to learn a little bit more patience. So I, I do obviously think he knows he made a mistake out there today. But, you know, not only did Kevin Harvick do that in 2015, but I remember all the way back to, it was 2005, um, a 125-mile qualifying or 150-mile qualifying race at Daytona where he took out the entire field basically from that race uh, because he pushed draft Jimmy Johnson 
back in 06 in the old Gen 5 car um, or Gen 4 car, I think it might have even been, you know, back a long, long time ago when Harvick was still a young guy. He pushed draft Jimmy Johnson, took Jimmy Johnson spun from the lead, took out Mark Martin, took out Rusty Wallace, took out all the big name drivers. And Mark had the epic line where he said, I, there's no way I can win the Daytona 500 from the back in a backup car. And it was Joe Nemechek threw a water bottle at him. It was, uh, it was ugly. And no doubt, Harvick made a mistake. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that, that, those are the things I think drivers need to, to realize that, you know, y'all, y'all have been there. Y'all have made mistakes. You know, you've all uh, overdrove the car maybe a little bit too much. Um, you know, just something to keep in mind. And I don't think it, it's a reflection that Bubba Wallace stinks. You know, I don't think that's fair to say that after one race where he made one mistake. So um, certainly I think he was just a little bit too aggressive. Ten laps into that race is, is crazy to be doing that. But this package was interesting, Philip, And that's where I want to go to next is the package. Um, I, I liked it a lot better. I'll say this, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but I felt at least this way where the side drafting, I don't think was as big a factor today because it pushed a big hole in, into the, to the wind with the, with the big spoilers. Um, you couldn't, at least you couldn't pull somebody back by side drafting them, you know, and I, and I felt like you could draft the one thing about this package, I will say, because there was a lot of ill handling race cars, up there, and it, it reared its head. David Reagan had a terrible car for the second half of that race, and he, you could argue that, you know, he got a little loose under, I forget who it was, that, and he caused one of the big wrecks there at the end, um, but he got loose. Stenhouse was complaining about how his car was junk all day, but he led 16 laps and was up front for most of the day, so I felt like handling wasn't a big issue so much today, um, and it sort of, it was good, you know, you can get runs, and uh, I felt also where uh, you didn't need as much help today. You know, I saw some times where people were in the rear of the field and they, it took them a little bit to get bunched up. And once they got bunched up, they can get going, but they weren't totally losing the draft uh, while they were trying to um, bunch together and get together and go. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Um, what were your general thoughts about this package? Did you like it? I mean, the, the speeds were a little high at times for sure. I think 208 miles an hour, Going down the back straightaway, that's part of the, maybe part of the reason why um, uh, Larson flipped at the end, where he he didn't really make any contact. He just turned over. Uh, what were your thoughts there on um, on that whole uh, package there, the new package at Talladega today? Yeah, I mean, the I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to go and view that one incident and that one car flying up in the air, and then they're going to make even more changes uh, for the worse. Uh, at the end of the day, there's things that they should do that are obvious that would probably keep these cars. It, I mean, I, I think the reality of keeping cars on the ground, everyone's trying to keep cars on the ground. I get it. Don't want to get them in the catch fence and all. And you science them out and you science them out and they still do it. So mm-hmm. I, you have all these engineers, you have all this money, all this money being spent in the sport you should be able to figure out how to keep a dang car on the ground and be able to run a high horsepower package and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I know that's what they're going to pinpoint and then it's going to become this big thing. I, I, that's one thing. I, I like the fact that they're, they're the slingshot, you know, not the good old days of Kale Yarbrough using up Darrell Waltrip to win Daytona 500 slingshots. You know, it's not like that. Uh, but, if you got a run and you had a, a way to go, you were able to get out of line and kind of make a move. You were able to decide drafting, which became king, which is something that Dale Earnhardt basically did or people in around that area kind of started doing. Uh, the side draft didn't work at all. Uh, they got completely stalled out, and that was interesting to me. That was something I picked up there. Like, it didn't really work. Like, he kept on trying to move. Like, it took a longer time. But you mm-hmm. could, if you had more space and you had two or three lanes and you had even gaps, you were able to kind of make runs. There was no, there was no real high line going. It was basically two lanes. Uh, guys were able to make runs, kind of move, but they get stalled. So there, there was a little bit of back and forth. Brad got sent to the back, and I think he tried to make a move or he got sucker hold and he went all the way to the back of the pack and came back up in three laps. So the logic that if you have a car, you could get back up there. Uh, mm-hmm. 
I honestly, yeah. I mean, for I'm not a. I mean, I've already said it on the show. We've talked offline. I don't care for Talladega or Daytona racing in general, uh, mainly because I think it's more of a lottery. Uh, for one of the first times in my 27 years of watching this sport, or 28 theoretically, I mean, it was basically 28, but 27 full time, there was actually, you know, a legitimate ability to kind of dictate your own your own path, your own uh, result. And I think for that, that's a, that's a positive. You know, we've kind of been railing on, uh, and I've, I've been steadfast and forthright in my opinions on how NASCAR does things in general. And they, they're still not great. But in terms of the product that was out there today, uh, I have to say was a positive product and there was a lot of people going for the league yeah was there as many passes lead changes per se not really but leaders there was a lot of leaders so i mean you take the good with the bad there's work that could be done to make it even better i know at daytona won't be as capable of kind of making some of those moves so they might have to make a daytona and a talladega package right uh you know that's to be determined but I, but honestly, I was actually entertained and, and interested. It was actually an interesting race, and I can't I'll really say, say that's been the case for a lot of Talladega races over recent years. I'll say this: I think what helped today's race, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but you know, the mentality of what the old package used to be was still live in in the minds of drivers and teams. So what I'm trying to get at is what I'm trying to say. What I mean by that is. You know, I think a lot of the drivers and the teams sort of looked at today and said, well, it's going to be a, a race. Every time we come to Daytona and Talladega, you always have to keep your track position. No matter what you do, track position is key. And I think over the last – especially the last four or five years where track position with the new, with the package we've had recently, since it's been such a big factor, it, it has created where drivers can, can really um, – should go up there and race as hard as they can at all times. You know, we really didn't see the the teams and drivers go to the rear for you know a hundred laps today and just sit there all day because it you couldn't do that and win with the old package we had because you had to keep your track position because it was so hard to work your way up through the field when you got back there and you brought up a great point today. I think today was one of the first times in a while, maybe five six years, where you could work your way up from the rear of the field to the front. Kyle Busch, I think, sped on pit road or had some kind of penalty on pit road, and and six, seven laps, he was up in seventh spot, sixth spot battling for the lead. And you're like, wow, man, that's not something you used to see on the super speedway tracks. So what will teams do to counteract that? Now that Kyle Busch and and Brad Keselowski and teams know, okay, uh, if I have a really good race car and it handles fine, I can hang out in the back for 80 laps if I have to. So how will that affect the the 400 miler at Daytona in July? I think it's going to have a big effect. I think you might see these teams. Now, there's always going to be teams like Front Row Motorsports who puts a lot of money and, and focus into these super speedway races. Uh, the smaller teams who may be on the fringe of the playoffs and need every single stage point they can get. Um, you're always going to see those teams go up there and race hard. But if you're a team already locked into the playoffs and you don't want to get hurt or you, you're just looking out for playoff points, you might sit there and go, okay, I'm going to head to the rear for the first 100 laps of the July race because I know – I can get up there if my car is good enough in 10 laps. That's something that we haven't really seen since the tandem days. You could do that back in the tandem days, you know, and it sort of forced drivers to do different moves. Um, But at the end of the day, Philip, I think that could be where we have an effect of, will these teams now, when we get to Daytona in July, will we see a lot more teams head to the back and sit there and say, okay, you know, Harvick used to be notorious for that. Um, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I'm going to hang in the back for, for 100 laps, and then I'll work my way up. Do you think that's something we'll, we'll see at Daytona in July, and how will that affect the race? Yeah, I mean, Harvick said in his, the one interview that he was like, oh, I was going to go to the back, and I was committed to doing that. And then it seemed everything was calm, and then I decided to go up there, and then it happened. Uh, Daytona, of course, it's a much narrower track. There's more handling involved. And when you consider the ability where the 
car in the rear could pack air on the bumper of the car in front and basically make that car loose. Or if you tried to hit the car and you did the side-by-side kind of thing, it would get the car loose and it sideways and wreck. You add that to Daytona when it's narrower, there's less places to go. Uh, I would think it would be a much more tame uh, race for the general, for the majority. I do think the RCR teams, because they kind of are, can roll the dice, the front row motorsports of the world, some of those teams that are kind of jockeying for the back end, the Hendrick Motorsports, outside of Chase, uh, you know, the, some of those teams that are on the back end of the playoff and or are no chance and want to give themselves a chance, they'll probably play up front for most, if not all, of the race. And then you'll see those big names, you know, unless they know they have an absolute bullet, they're going to go and, and sit in the back at Daytona. And I do believe that when they come back to Talladega, if this is the same package we have, for the playoff event, uh, they're going to also basically run in line and they're going to go to the back because they know they're not going to – they had basically the whole entire field within three seconds for a good amount of the race. It took pit stops to separate them. So the the point that you could be in the playoff and you could just basically sit in the back and you're only going to be a couple seconds behind the main pack, it'll dictate, I think, uh, the way things are called here, it'll be a, it'll be a case where you might lose stage points, or you may, if you want to go for stage points, and might change how you have to go about business. But yeah, there'll be some differences, and I'm curious to see how it'll be uh, come July 4th, the last uh, the last actual Firecracker 400. Uh, you know how that'll all go go on. Uh, but I I hope that it provides a better race at Daytona in July, because there hasn't been very many good ones in a while either there. So, uh, but I do think there will be a distinct people who really are going for it and are really desperate versus the people that know they don't have to go for it. And they're not trying to theoretically bin it for stage points. And then you'll kind of have that mesh after the first two stages end and then we'll see what happens in the last 60 laps of that race or however many laps it is for the stages there. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how it all plays out at Daytona in July. Uh, Points, Philip, real quick, just want to touch on these uh, playoff points. You know, really when we look at the points now, um, our drivers and teams who are are close to making it in the playoffs and who really fell and who really um, gained a lot of points. One guy you touched on earlier in the show was Daniel Suarez. Suarez looks to be pretty good right now. He's 30, uh, 28 points up on Jimmy Johnson for the final spot. So if, if things keep going the way he's doing, they're going, and it's not really a – he doesn't have an epic collapse. Uh, Suarez is going to make the playoffs. So that's a that's a big deal. You know, I think a lot of people have kind of taken him for granted and said, oh, he won't make the playoffs. But he's done very well so far this year. So for him to be up there and, and as has um, – given himself such so much breathing room with the points so far, I think it's a good thing. And Stewart House Racing's fast this year, so he should have the cars to do it. Um, I think it, we still need uh, a few more races and a few more points for Suarez for him to be sort of a lock. But I think everybody above him is sort of a lock right now in points. That's Amarola, Boyer, Blaney, Kurtbush, Chase is in from today's win. Truex is in. Kozlowski's in. Uh, Harvick's going to be in through the points. And then Hamlin, Logano, and Bush, of course, with their wins. Uh, so, you know, those guys are, are pretty much in there. I think everybody 11th and above. Suarez is sort of on the cusp. Then you got everybody else. Austin Dillon, 13th right now. He's got 250 point, 53 points up on uh, 253 points. Then Newman's two points back from him. Then Alex Bowman's 12 points back from Newman. And then one point back is Jimmy Johnson. Menard's four points back from Jimmy. Uh, Jones is four points back from Menard. Eight points back from Jimmy. 12 points back from Jimmy in the cutoff is Byron. And then 15 points back is Stenhouse. And then 21st in the standings, uh, 17 points out of the playoffs right now, is Kyle Larson. And there's one driver who is sort of, I think, um, making a case to where you can put him on the outside looking in right now. And he's the last driver in who could possibly point his way in, but it's a long shot. And that's Ty Dillon in 22nd. So 
the playoffs are looking like they're shaping up. We pretty much know who's the 11, 11 of the 16 playoff drivers, but there's a lot of drivers right there from 50, from 13th to about 21st that are really fighting for the last uh, four or five playoff spots. It's going to be wild to see how this plays out here as the season goes along. Um, you know, Stenhouse lost a lot of points today, Philip, with his wreck. Byron gained some points because he, he really did well in each stage. Um, Eric Jones was okay today, but, you know, stayed right where he was at. Menard, uh, he wrecked today and had some issues. So, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see who makes the playoffs here uh, as the season rolls along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be tight to as as this goes on. And now as we get into, you know, they'll be going to Dover next week. And then they have Kansas and Charlotte. Uh, those will be three uh, races that will kind of start setting the tone for what we're going to probably know. I mean, it looks like we kind of know where we're at. But we'll see who's going to kind of separate themselves in those three races. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series race racing from Talladega Super Speedway. It was a money line 300 this weekend from Talladega Super Speedway. An interesting race because, you know, it was two different races what we saw. We saw um, a uh, restricted plate race at, at in the Xfinity race, a more restricted plate style race, I should say. And then, of course, a, uh, a, a what we saw today in the cup race. But it was Tyler Reddick who had a really fast car. Uh, he he was a winner. Then it was Greg Galding, a great run for him and a Bobby Dodder, SS Greenlight Racing Chevrolet. Uh, great to see that team up there fighting for everything they had. He was second. Christopher Bell was third. Uh, Chase Briscoe, fourth. Austin Sendrick ended up fifth. Then it was John Hunter Nemechek, Justin Haley, Josh Williams, another great driver to see up there competing. He finished eighth. Then it was Landon Castle for Johnny Davis. He finished ninth. And another cool story, Chris Cockrum in tenth. Rick Ware Racing. Um, a lot of carnage in this race, for sure. Um, drivers were out there you know, competing against each other. Even Tyler Reddick uh, had some issues and, and some damage on his composite body, but they're a little bit stronger than than other than the other pa- uh, bodies we saw, so he was able to go out there and pull off a victory. A really fast Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet for Tyler Reddick, and he ended up in victory lane on Saturday at Talladega, Phillip. Yeah, I mean, for Reddick, he's been knocking on the door all year. And for him to finally come through, and he had to pull some big time, uh, you know, NBA level freaking blocks to go and win. And Greg Alding had a couple of runs there. And, you know, for a kid who's kind of like one of those next big things and it's never come through. And, and for him to have a chance there, he was going to try to do everything in his power to make that happen. Uh, for Reddick to win that, I mean, to lock himself in. We talk about the big four, and now three of them are locked in. He's leading the points overall, and in terms of nine races this year, he has eight top tens and seven top fives. So he's been, he's done a very good job in terms of his defense of his title. And quite frankly, I believe, I was thinking about this earlier, that I believe the fit that Richard Childress Racing is much better for him, uh, for who he is or where he comes from as a racer, uh, than where he was at Junior Motorsports. I feel like it's a little better fit, and there's more of a focus. Obviously, there is a bigger focus because that's the only car they have, and uh, I think they're building cars for him that he wants, that he needs. I don't think that was as big of a thing at JRM where they had two other competitive drivers. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, and I think as the season goes on, yes, you'll have Kaz Grala. Joe Graff Jr. is going to be driving a little bit. But I do think overall, I think as the season goes on, it's probably going to help uh, Reddick's case to possibly uh, repeat. Um, and considering mm-hmm. how Hamrick drove in that car in recent years, just being almost there and almost winning, I think is a big deal that RCR organization to get a win there uh, at yeah. one of RC's favorite tracks, too. You, you brought up a great point about, about you know, the one-car operation this year. And when you think – usually when you think about a big team and how strong they are, well, they're a four-car operation. It seems to help RCR in the Xfinity Series. They were a five-car operation not too long ago uh, in the Xfinity Series, and it was almost like – and I think they were running a, a six-car part-time, and you're almost like, oh, my goodness, how can they sustain that? 
And now they've got it down to one team and they and one really fast race team. Reddick's fast every week. And to, and it seemed like on Saturday they were really, really fast. So uh, a nice job by that team for sure. Uh, something I want to touch on before we, we get off the air. And, that, you know, this was one of the races we kind of kept our eye on for um, Ross Chastain, who we we are very high on. He's a great race car driver, uh, driving the call leg number 10 this weekend for N- the Nutrient AG Solutions Chevrolet um, and he had some issues, Philip, and that really hurt him. He wasn't in any wreck, you know, and that, that, I think that's what the most heartbreaking thing was. He sort of dodged the wrecks for the most part, was up there in the top 10, top five, running all day, and they had some kind of wacky mechanical issue occur on that 10 car, and it put Chastain out and finished in the 30th spot. Um, you know, we do run Daytona in July, and that is, I think, Chastain's next chance to really go out there and pull off a win. I'm not sure what his schedule is in the 10 car, but this was one of the opportunities where we kind of sat there and said, well, if Chastain's going to get into the playoffs, this is the opportunity. Well, unfortunately for him, he had some issues. And, you know, right now in points, he is um, 33 points back of Brandon Jones for 12th. He's going to need to win. And, and one of those opportunities to win just went out the door for Chastain. Yeah. I mean, that was a shame. He had a really good race car. He was, I think it won the stage, or he won the stage at Daytona, but he was uh, he was in position to win a stage there in that first. He was stage second there. in stage one, yeah. Yeah, stage one, and so uh, he had a fast race car. Both him and Haley were up there, and uh, unfortunately, mechanical issue came up there. Losing those points is big. In for for knowing that the four car, I mean, and the fact is, it's something, you know, Landon Castle, be it that he's a long time veteran, he's been running a lot of years now, uh, got a top 10 out of that car. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a sign they could possibly do something uh, at Daytona in July. But for Chastain, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure in terms of what he has left in that 10, but it's a tough deal. I do believe Brandon Jones is a little more uh, uh, in danger than you think. He He's had three DNFs this year, but then you can couple that with two top fives and four top tens. And he's not exactly the greatest out there, but, you know, when you have that much of a gap and you know you're in a Joe Gibbs racing car, That's I thing, yeah. have a hard, it's going to be hard to beat that organization and then Annette, you know, whatever, he was up front and didn't didn't have the finish that he probably wanted. Um, and there, that's a further 20 points up. So it, it's going to be very difficult for Chastain to make this playoff without a win or some like Hail Mary, kind of like uh, Jeremy Clements did at Road America years ago. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why, uh, you know, those, those – um... Road courses are also a chance where he can go out there and win it. And you brought up Annette. It's been interesting since he started at uh, leading the points at Daytona. He's he's lost a lot of points there in the recent weeks. And uh, you know he's 11th in the standings. So and like you said, he's in he because of the playoff because of his win at Daytona. But um, you know it's gonna be interesting to see how that team performs and if they could be championship contenders. Keep their momentum going uh, as the season goes along. But you know, Jones, you're right. You know, I, I think he wants to be in a situation where he's got to catch Justin Haley there in 10th just in case Chastain does pull off a win or somebody else behind them pulls off a, uh, a win like Clements we saw a few years ago. Maybe Brandon Brown pulls off a win. A great Galding who, almost, who came very close to, uh, on Saturday. So um, Jones has got to get his season on, on the right track and get more consistent if you and catch Justin Haley because, you know, the, the last driver who's gets in on points is uh, – is going to be out and he needs to win or catch Justin Haley. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, if Jones can keep that going as, as to see if he can get a win or, or write his season a little bit. So just in case somebody had, does have a miraculous win, he can get to the playoffs. Philip Matthew, I want to thank you. Great show tonight. As always. Um, it was a lot of fun breaking down Talladega. We'll be back here Wednesday night on talking circles. We'll preview Next weekend's race at Dover Downs International Raceway. Uh, we'll also talk about the news of the week on Talking Circles. You like what you heard tonight or any night here on Talking Circles, be sure to like us on Twitter, like our Facebook page. You'll see a lot of stuff we post throughout the week there. Um, whatever you want to ever ask us a question, be sure to message us. We'll be happy to answer you on Talking Circles' Facebook page or our Twitter page as well. Uh, we'll see you guys next time 
on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.